Oh, behave. And you will, whether you like it or not, on psychological values before dollar values. This forms the underpinning of behavioral economics, a rich field of study with much to teach financial services leaders and marketers. Here to explain how it works and smart ways to put it to use, we'll talk with Meg Goodman, Vice President at Jacobs and Clevenger. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that will help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. Come on in. Don't miss your opportunity to join industry innovation gurus J.P. Nichols and Jason Hendricks from Fintech Forge at the BAI Innovation Summit. That's October 8th through 10th in Boston. Visit BAI.org for registration details and to learn more about this exciting program. Thanks very much for tuning into the podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here with us. And speaking of pleasure, coming right from up the street here in Chicago, we have Meg Goodman. Meg is a senior marketing agency executive who brings more than 30 years of leadership strength as vice president at Jacobs and Clevenger, a direct response relationship marketing agency, again, based here in Chicago. Meg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lou. It's good to be here. Oh, boy, behavioral economics. I am passionate about this topic. We talked a bit about that off mic. It's obviously not a brand new concept, but in marketing, it's seen a recent resurgence. What exactly is behavioral economics for our listeners, and why is it so important to marketing? Yeah, good question to start this off. You know, it's been around for 40 years and actually had its genesis here in Chicago at the University of Chicago. It's economic theory with a dose of human nature in it. And Richard Thaler actually defines it as economics done with a strong interjection of good psychology and other social sciences. Why is it important to marketers? You know, we market to people. We need to understand what they do. And behavioral economics provides insights that helps us identify behaviors and adapt to irrational biases, which we all have, and emotional demands and needs. So it's a mixture of the rational and the emotional. In banking, we're not used to those words, emotional or irrational, but boy, how they play in. Can you explain how rational and emotion play into the role of decision-making for the customer? Not always something that's understood right off the bat. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, core economic theory, people choose by optimizing rational expectations. And if you're a true economist, there are rules by which you would predict people operate, but they don't. And there's a psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, who said the emotional tail wags the rational dog. (laughs) (laughs) And and, absolutely. And, And here's the thing. You and I are not immune from this. While we can sit here and espouse all the theory and we can talk about it and say, oh my gosh, this is what's going on, we still succumb to it. Bernoulli, who had some of the original thinking that spawned behavioral economics, said that choices are based not on dollar values, but on psychological values. And let me give you a couple examples. The possibility theory says highly unlikely outcomes are given more weight than they deserve. I play lotto. 
I am sure that I'm going to win that jackpot. No, I'm going to win it. Okay, all right. So we'll split this. But but here's what happens. We play because we all like to think that there is that one chance. You know, if you look at the possibilities of winning, they are so minute, but we still think we have a chance. Conversely, there's a certainty theory that highly unlikely outcomes are given less weight than they should have. Let me give you an example of that. There's a famous story in behavioral economics where I've just inherited $15 million and my aunt comes in and contests the will. My lawyer is telling me that I have a 95% chance of winning this and I'm going to walk away with my $15 million. It's the night before the jury comes back in with a verdict and a company that will go in and buy out judgments comes to me and says, you know, Meg, there's a 5% chance you might not win that judgment. So we will pay you $10 million and you can walk away with 10 million certain dollars or only a 95% chance that you'll win the 15. Most people will take that offer because there's a slight chance that they might not win that judgment. And those companies are not in business to lose money, so they understand human nature. You know, while we think we'd like to be rational, more often than not, we're not. Unbelievable. And I spot that in my own behavior as well. I've got to tell you, when you say we do it, I know I do it too. That brings to mind this notion that marketers are embracing behavioral economics again. Why do you think that's so? Because it helps us market our products. It helps us understand the human psyche and tap into, I'm going to say, people's weaknesses. I don't like to play that card, but it's a thing. Rebecca Lee White wrote an article called Eight Behavioral Takeaways from Behavioral Economics. I mean, there's so many theories, right? But this really synthesizes a lot of the things that people like to look for as marketers. For instance, people look to other people to confirm what they want to do. Let's talk influencers in marketing. Let's talk reviews on social media. If you want to market a product, be able to provide social backing for what people want to do. Tap into loss aversion. People would much rather avoid loss than try to chase after gain. For instance, if you want to promote thermostat upgrades, energy companies are doing this right now. The best way to market it is to say, stop losing $100 every year in energy by buying our programmable thermostat instead of save $100 a year. People would rather stop the loss than look for a way to save money. There are six other points that she brings to light in this article, all of which, again, as as we mentioned before, Lou, you and I have succumbed to as consumers of marketing in the past. So you mentioned thermostats. You mentioned loss aversion. What about banks? How can they use behavioral economics to accelerate customer growth and increase return on investment? Sure. Good question. Daniel Kahneman, who was one of the fathers of behavioral economics, identified two ways we think of things. It's called system one and system two. System one are the things that we do every day. The commute to work. How often have you commuted to work and you walk into your office and you don't remember the time and the distance between point A to point B? Or running down to grab a coffee during the day or using your debit card, paying your bills online, all things that we do every day, we don't even have to think about it. Then there's system two. 
getting a mortgage, buying a car, looking for a home. We've all done this, but not often enough to ingrain it into our brains. And when you're going to buy your next house, you think, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I forgot how to get a mortgage. It's so hard. I have to sign 5 million pieces of paper. But when you go to get a coffee, you don't think about that transaction on your debit card at all. People go through the majority of their day in a system one mode. System two tires us out. We really have to engage. We really have to think about what we're doing. So when somebody goes into a bank and a bank has taken all their tellers out and they're all ATM machines, I've stood in a bank lobby and watched people just hesitate and stand there because they don't know how to use this particular ATM machine. Or the bank's policies have changed and they haven't educated people. So I would say make it as easy for your customer as you possibly can. There's other things that people operate by, and those are called heuristics or rules of thumb. Make maybe five rules of thumb. When you come into the bank, go into line A for this or line B for this. Make acquiring a credit card not such a big ordeal. Educate people on what they're doing. And the last thing is what's called the isolation effect. Here's a perfect example. When you go into the grocery store, if you have three jams or jellies to choose from, people can make a choice pretty quickly. But you go into the grocery store and you look at the jelly and jam aisle and there are probably 50 different products to choose from, more often than not people will walk away because they can't make a choice. So limit the choices to your customers, either what you might be able to do through AI or analytics and target the choice to them specifically or just limit the choices to where it's a very easy decision for somebody to make. I go to the jam aisle and there's 50 jams. I just sweep 10 of them into my cart. <laughs> oh, those stores love you. <laughs> they do. Uh, my budget does not. Um, uh-huh. Now, <laughs> moving on to what Jacobs and Clevenger is doing, lots of exciting stuff in terms of implementing behavioral economics. Maybe you can share some of that with us. Sure. A lot of our clients are in the financial services industry. We work with credit cards. We work with banks. Again, we implement what I've just talked about. We make it easy. We help people understand what their choices are. We also use an approach called coding, which comes out of behavioral economics. And let me explain what that is. People come to a point from different places. So say Mary and Bill go into a casino and they both walk out with $100. You would think, according to economic theory, they would be equally as happy. They both have the same amount of money. However, Mary went in with $5 and bet and walked out with 100 Bill went in with $500. He did some poor betting, and he walked out with $100. So they both came out the same, but they both walked in with a different point of view. We use a lot of data and analytics to understand where people are coming from as they approach what we're going to market to them. We talk about big data. Big data is only as good as how you know how to use it. So we try to be smart as data scientists to use what we've learned to market to people accordingly. The same message does not work equally with different people. And of course, frontline employees in the bank can play a role here in making this work. What do you see going on that would be a best practice or best practices for them? I think frontline employees 
have one of the hardest jobs in banking because you never know who's going to be in front of you at any point in time. There's a experiment that they do in behavioral economics called point of view. And you have somebody sit there with their hand in a bowl of hot water and a bowl of cold water. Have them sit there for a minute, maybe give them a candy bar for doing this. Then they take their hands out of the water and they put both hands in a bowl of tepid water. Theoretically, it should feel the same, but it doesn't because of where their hands came from, the hot water and the cold water. The water that they're sitting in now feels differently. So it's important to understand if somebody has a question, they're afraid. They might not understand. Money's scary for a lot of people. And the fear of loss, the fear of making a bad decision. So I would say to frontline employees, explain what you can, take your time, understand that sometimes financial transactions are scary things. And not everybody's an educated consumer when they come to the window, but make them feel comfortable when they walk in and having no fear when they walk out. That's the journey for all of us, right? It's from fear to feeling confident. It's a big mission for banks to tackle. You have covered the topic so well. Fascinating stuff. Meg, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Meg Goodman is vice president at Jacobs and Clevenger, based here in beautiful downtown Chicago. You can look for Meg on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, with its roots in Chicago, behavioral economic theory reflects a strong mix of good psychology and social behavior. It helps us adapt to irrational behavior by optimizing rational expectations. It begins with the premise that choices are based not on dollar values, but emotional values first. And as a result, highly unlikely outcomes are given more weight by most of us than they should reflect in real life. Number two, behavioral economics helps us market products and understand the human psyche, and frankly, people's weaknesses. Among its discoveries, people look to others for cues on what they should do, and people would much rather avoid loss than go after gain. That's called loss aversion. So if you want to promote thermostats, for example, stress the loss you can stop rather than the benefit you can realize. And number three, for banks, behavioral economics teaches this key lesson. Make things as easy for the customer as you can. Generally, our behavior falls into two systems. System one are things we don't think about every day, such as grabbing a cup of coffee. And system two would include getting a mortgage or buying a car, the things we've probably done before, but not often enough to remember. To that end, think of what motivates your customers and what intimidates them. Join us September 23rd through the 27th for the BAI Deep Dive Digital Transformation. This complimentary week-long series of dedicated content is focused on the key issues surrounding digital transformation that impact the digital physical divide, talent, operations, and data. Learn more at BAI.org. And now BAI Banking Strategies presents My 21-Year-Old Self, where our podcast guest talks about what they were like at 21, life as an emerging leader, and the advice they give themselves today. What do 21-year-olds really know about money? That depends. As for Meg Goodman, she wishes her 21-year-old self knew this fact. 
Every decision you make with money truly matters. Savings isn't just discipline. Over time, it's multiplication, magic, and ultimately, legacy. Listen. You know, one of the things I wish I had known then that has become very apparent to me as I have aged and prepared for whatever might be next in my life is that every decision regarding money matters. You might not think it, you might not understand what it'll mean to buy a home, raise a family, want to retire. There might be some immediate gratification that you might want that you think, yeah, I'll have plenty of time to save. You do have time to save. Let me not diminish the fact that there are years there. But if you are disciplined and you make choices with your finances today, the power of multiplication, if you just run the numbers and can discipline yourself to start saving at 21, every decision that you make toward that, your future self will thank you when you get ready to make some big, important financial decisions later in your life. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast. We hope to have you back with us very soon. Be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. Our producer, as always, is James Grady. Be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you soon. So long. 